got seven weeks or so, different things, signs of the times, negative signs, positive signs. We went through to talk about offense. We wanted to talk a little bit about the spirit of accusation and, and that power. I wanted to do a three-week sprint through Revelation, three, three session, not three-week, because uh, tonight will be a session. We won't probably meet again uh, in terms of this time until uh, maybe mid-December, and then maybe another one in December, maybe not. <clears throat> um, but we can't really talk about end times without going through Revelation. Um, uh, we started talking about end times in terms of Matthew 24, the, the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples on, the, on, on Mount Olivet, um, where you know his disciples come down uh, after being in Jerusalem and seeing the temple and being very impressed, uh, asking Jesus, you know, isn't this an amazing building? Um, and Jesus says, uh, I tell you the truth. Uh, and the truth that he tells <laughs> is it goes through the, uh, the majority of Matthew 24, all of 25, uh, and into a little bit of 26. Uh, there won't be one stone of this left on top of another. When will these things happen? And what will the sign of your coming be? Those two questions that, that Jesus asked. And so uh, we've been kind of walking through that because it is such a pivotal chapter in terms of understanding end times. Reminds me, by the way, of a story that um, uh, when, when Amy and I were in Alaska, uh, I went to Bible school for a year in uh, New Jersey. I quit my job, uprooted my uh, poor wife and our poor baby daughter, and we moved to New Jersey from Alaska, which nobody does. Usually it's the opposite. Um, uh, but we uh, did that, went to school for a year, um, uh, bumped around in New Jersey for a year, finally got a job out in California and lived with Amy's sister, who is eight houses down from us. And when we came back, uh, her sister Jeanette said, so, you know, what, what is the one thing you got out of, this is, we, this is the way we always ask questions in our family, what's the one thing, what was the top highlight, what was the best thing about whatever? In this case, it was, what was the one thing you got out of Bible school? Um, and so I'm like, well, I've never considered the one thing. You know, there was 8,000 things I got. We went to Bible school because um, I got saved uh, four years before. Next thing I know, Amy and I are teaching uh, the youth in, the, in our little church. And I realized I had, no, I, I had, to, I had to look up a, a verse in Joshua. And I had zero clue where Joshua was in the Bible. <laughs> and I'm realizing I'm teaching people I don't even know what's in this thing. I have no clue what, what's in the Bible. Um, I've learned a little bit over the past four years. We had good teaching at the church we were at. We uh, had a series of cassette tapes from... Um, Whoa. Uh, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> from uh, uh, Amy or Amy's, uh, and her family's pastor in Arizona, uh, which were fantastic. 63 sermons in Ephesians. And uh, 63 cassette tapes in Ephesians. And, Lord knows how many in, in first and second Samuel. How many chapters are there? Six. Wow. <laughs> 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 yeah, it, it was. It was. He went in depth, and the same thing was. So I, I mean, I didn't know much about the Bible. I knew Ephesians, and I knew first and second Samuel, which of course opens you up to the whole world of David. But anyway, I didn't know much. That's why we went to Bible school. We came back. What's the one thing that you learned? I said, well, one thing I learned was that you can't understand Revelation or anything about the end times unless you understand Daniel. And Daniel is the key to understanding uh, everything that happened afterwards, all the prophecies, all the end time prophecies, uh, because 
you know, the visions that the Lord gave Daniel in Daniel were so pivotal. Um, and so um, uh, I'm not going to go through Daniel now, but I just remember that that was the, that was the key. And so Daniel's vision uh, meeting the Lord uh, in the throne, I kept looking at the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man appeared, and he went up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. That, that verse in chapter 7 talking about the Son of Man being presented and, and coming, and now we see in Revelation what's happening. So I just want to launch right into it. What I hope to do today is do a fast skim, um, end up with uh, uh, um, Mike Bickle's framework for understanding Revelation. I'm going to use his framework. I think there's like 157 different frameworks that you can use for Revelation. Bickle's got a good one, but there are others. But I think, um, uh, first of all, let me ask, um, show of hands, how many have read through Revelation at least once? Okay. So how many uh, have, um, how many have, um, who, who wrote the book of Revelations? Any, any, uh, anybody under 20? <laughs> huh? Who wrote the book of Revelations? John. John, yeah. I just said John. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Did you wish for that to you? Huh? No, I said John, I swear. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look at it around. So, um, yeah, John wrote the book of Revelation. Most people think John, now I'll tell you that, that not everybody thinks John wrote it, but, but I think there's a pretty good uh, argument for him having written it. That's why the notes here. The uh, people, um, first of all, John says he wrote it. Um, also the style kind of matches to his other works. The style actually doesn't. That's part of the problem with the, with the writing um, is that they, they think, well, you know, the style's way different, but... Maybe but, it's different like from Greek to English or something, or Hebrew to English. Well, I mean, it, it kind of seems similar in my well, I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked at the Greek, but I mean, what I've read from commentaries is the style is a little different in Revelation than what you get in First, Second, and Third John, and, and in the and in the Gospel. But but um, his familiarity with with, um, with Jesus and uh, the fact that he's writing in an apocryphal style, like the notes say, um, and you know he's in prison at the time, and so he's on he's, an island, yeah, he's under duress. Um, Probably huge time. So going with the fact that it is John, think about how astound, astounding that is, that, that this, is, this is that John. Um, it, it's the John who was the fisherman, right? He, he's the John who was one of the two sons of thunder. Uh, so his brother James is the other son of thunder, right? The one who's calling down, he says, you know, remember, he was called the son of thunder. Jesus called him that when they were going through this town one time and the Samaritans would not receive him. And James, James and John... I'm going from memory, but James and John said, Lord, uh, they're, they're not allowing us to go through. Should we call down fire from heaven on this town? And, and uh, actually, that's really worth looking at. I, did I write down the verse here? No, but I wrote, I wrote down the, the quote um, because Jesus says, you don't know um, what kind of spirit you are of. And then he says, then he says, Jesus says to, to uh, John, because... The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Mm. Isn't that interesting that he's, he turns to John, one of the sons of thunder, 
at that time, this is some 60 years before he has this revelation, and he says, here's a hint, John. You're going to discover through a vision in Revelation, through, the, through a vision of the end of times, that in fact, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. And you're going to, you're going to remember, it's going to be important that you remember this verse, because I did not come to destroy the, the earth or people. Um, that is not what this is about. This is about saving them. And so uh, John is going to see a vision that is, that is going to make him tempted to think exactly the opposite. And here Jesus gives a 60-year-old, uh, I mean a 60-year... In advance. In advance, thank you, prediction of what's coming. So this is that John. This is that John that was on the mountain of transfiguration that, that saw Jesus in his glory. This is the John whose brother was killed, whose brother was beheaded. James was beheaded. At the, at the good pleasure of Herod Agrippa, um, some, some years prior, they think it was in 44 AD, that's uh, talked about in Acts 12 too. And, and so when, it's, when, it, when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews that he beheaded James, he went after Peter. And that's of course, you know, John has uh, observed how Peter was miraculously delivered. That John, <laughs> that John who was, who was the one who laid his head on Jesus' uh, chest when they were uh, so intimate together. The John who was a slow runner, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, uh, uh, the the one who Jesus loved. Hmm? Yeah, should have done cross country. That's, that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was a fast runner. No, I thought it was like the one who Jesus loved. He passed at Peter, right? Yeah. Yes. And then Peter was the one who went into. The oh, sorry. He was so he was a cross country runner. Sorry, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, John's a fast runner. So maybe that's why he. Uh, Live so long. Live in his nineties. So time of time of writing. It's also in the book of Revelation. We talked about this before. It's really important to understand what the time of writing is. Unfortunately, it's not. It's not. Uh, you know, I will take a I will take a bullet for this. But um, if the book was written before Domitian, um, the emperor Domitian, then. Uh, then you can see why people who believe that many of the events that are talked about in Revelation and many of the events that, that uh, Jesus talked about in 24 uh, that happened that happened with the fall of Jerusalem were fulfilled, uh, you know, or at least partially by Nero and company because Nero was such an evil empire, evil emperor. Um, As opposed to the following ones, it was like Theoclitian came a bit later and uh, was it Maximilian? This was like, this was, so this was before Constantine, that's when the that's when the persecution of Christians was uh, like at its peak. Yeah, so I want to talk about that. That's a really good point. Nero would, Nero would like uh, light uh, people on fire just watching burn in his yard. Exactly. He would put Christians up on a stake and, and set them on fire just for his good pleasure. And so, of course, they're thinking, you know, this, this is that. I mean, it can't be any worse than that. Um, and so uh, if Irenaeus, Irenaeus is right, though, that were the early church fathers, that it was that the book of Revelation was written around the time of Domitian, the emperor that followed Nero. Well, then we've got a we've got an issue here because um, John is writing, knowing that that uh, Jerusalem has fallen, and so the time of writing is important. Most people think it was written during the time of Domitian, mostly because of the Irenaeus. What time? What year is that? Uh, they think it was written between eighty-one and ninety-six. Um, that was Domitian's reign. Um, did, did John live that long? He, John lived till he was in nineties. Oh, okay, at least. So wait, so uh, what, Caesar didn't live that that much longer then after Jesus' time? Uh, I don't know. 
Because, I mean, this is like several Roman emperors later. It was, I don't know who preceded Nero, but it was Nero Domitian. Because I, I thought those were like in the second and third centuries before Constantine came. So Constantine, let's talk, so, so one of the really good points that I'm glad you brought up about Constantine is we look, we look back through history, right? Mm -hmm. We see Nero, we see how awful he was, and, and we think certainly there's nobody worse than Nero. How bad is this tribulation going to be? We see, fast forward, we see Hitler, and we think how bad, I mean, many people thought Hitler, actually many people thought that um, um, the... Uh, the uh, Kaiser Wilhelm uh, was the Antichrist. Many people thought uh, Hitler was the Antichrist. How bad can it be? Is, it, is the Antichrist going to be any worse than this person? Many people thought that that was happening. Many people, on the other hand, thought Constantine uh, was bringing on the era of, of the millennium because he brought Christianity, made it the official Roman uh, religion of the government. So in 330 AD, right, uh, around the time Constantine makes the official religion, you can imagine they're thinking, oh my gosh, here we are, it's 300 years after, you know, and, and how can it get any better than this? And so one of the things that it seems like Revelation is going to teach us is that, is that history gives us these high, high highs with Constantine, high highs in terms of what it must have felt like to them. It was actually a there's a good reason to think it was a, a terrible thing <laughs> that the official religion of the government became Constantine's religion. But at the time, it must have felt like this Constantine is acting as the very agent of Jesus. This, this is the millennium being brought in. On the other hand, Hitler, how bad can it get? And the Lord seems to be saying that uh, those things are, are birth pangs, but they are not the birth. And, and the birth is coming, so there are evidences of, of things coming, but they're not happening quite yet. Um, uh, so, actually the pregnancy metaphor, I'm, on, I'm still on number three. Um, I'll read this, the book of Revelation has greatly changed Bigel's paradigm of the prayer and prophetic movement. Um, it's not a doomsday prophecy about the world coming to an end, neither is it a drama about the end of the world. It's about God's new beginning for the world. And check out this, this line. I, I like this, and it hit me the other day how, how powerful this is. Um, the birth of a baby is the end of a pregnancy, but it's mostly about the beginning of a new life. We are coming to the end of the dark night of Satan's oppression of human history and the dawning of a new day. Pause. That that metaphor gets talked about by Jesus over and over again. These things are simply the beginning of birth pangs. It's the beginning of birth pangs. These things are not yet happening. The, the things are happening later that are the beginning of birth pangs. And I don't know about you, but I tend to just blow, the, blow right by there, maybe because I've never really given birth. But, um, but the, uh, what Bickle is saying is, check out how powerful that analogy really is in terms of leaving behind a completely uh, a completely different kind of life. Those of you who are, have given birth in the room, you know that, that that feels like it's going to go on forever. I, m I remember my, my wife would say a couple of times with, with several of our kids, I, this, this feels like I'm going to be in this condition forever. You know, I, th this baby's going to get bigger and bigger and one of us is going to die. And, <laughs> and, and we're never going to, it's never going to come. And that's just the way it is. And, and, uh, and, so, and then you wake up and you're still in that condition. 
and you go to bed and you're thinking, maybe tonight, you know, I'm due, and then you wake up and you're still in that condition over and over and over again, and that is the old life. That's, that's where we are right now, and we're going to go through, and, and meanwhile, there are, these, there are these hints, these birth pangs that you moms have gone through that I've uh, uh, experienced vicariously. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, they, and they're happening, and they're, they're a temptation of what's coming, but they're not, they're not anywhere near the actual event. But when the event happens, oh my goodness, it, that is the thing that you're focused on. You don't, you don't talk about very much. Really, uh, for our five, we didn't talk about uh, uh, the, the uh, nine months of the pregnancy very much at all after the baby was born. There was a, there was a little bit of recovery period, but for the most part, we, we, we were like, it is all about this baby. It is all about you know, this new life. Uh, it's, I would just recommend to you that that is a very, very powerful analogy of, of uh, what Jesus is talking about. Um, uh, Christ defeated Satan at the cross. However, the full scope of his victory is, fully, is not fully manifested on earth. World War II analogy, right? Um, at Christ's ascension, Jesus was seated at God's right hand above author, authority, um, and he dis, disarmed the demonic powers and made a public spectacle of them. Um, and so we are in the already and the not yet paradox. Um, so Bickle, uh, I'm going to blaze through some of these notes here, but he's trying to get to the point that, look, uh, this is a book that's written for everyone. It's not just for the for the professors. It's not just for the the well-armed pastors. It really is supposed to be a book written for the common fisherman, for the farmer of the day, for the people in that day, uh, in the first century, to give them hope for what's happening, and for us, two thousand years later, to give us uh, hope for what's happening. Um, I would recommend that you just. Uh, uh, take a look through those notes at the end time, but um, remember that this is the only book in the Bible that gives you a blessing when you read it or when you hear it. Um, it's promised that there will be a blessing to come. Um, so, page three. Revelation, uh, Bickle calls it the end time book of Acts. I think that's a pretty cool name. Um, he says that it helps us uh, to uh, see uh, it's almost like we get to have the book of Acts given to us in advance. Helps us to walk through in a unified prayer focus by knowing what the sequences are in terms of the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. And so in terms of our prayer room, uh, this is important because we get to look and, and actually see what the, what the chronology is um, and see what the prayers are and actually pray those through. So it's, it's, a, it's a great script. Um, Bickle will say over and over again, that, um, that the saints, the church, calls down the judgments on the earth. And uh, um, he says, he'll say, just like it happened in the plagues of Moses, the church is calling down the judgments on the earth. And um, it took me a while to kind of get my head around what he's talking about there. I don't know if you all have heard him say that, but, but I, I was, remember thinking, I don't understand where that comes from in the Bible about the church actually calling down the judgments as though we, are, uh, we, we on the earth are going to be asking the Lord to bring this particular judgment from the book of Revelation or that particular judgment. Uh, and what he says when you, when you dig into it, and it took me, like I say, a, a little bit, um, is, is, to, is, uh, is to say that when you look in Luke 18, um, in fact, uh, let's, let's take a look there. Um, I hope it's Luke 18. 
Um, so Luke 18, 8, um, starting in verse 6, actually. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. This is the, the, this is the judge who finally gives relief to the, uh, to the widow who uh, is bugging him. Um, uh, verse 4, even though I do not fear God and I don't respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually calling, she will wear me out. She's <laughs> driving me nuts. Um, and so here, with, and the Lord says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? There's the word. Verse 7, justice. Will not God bring about justice for his elect who are crying out to him day and night? So when we talk about a prayer room going day and night, asking for justice, which we do here, which I do here, many of you do here, asking for God to make wrong things right on the earth, asking for as the light comes over the region, which I pray morning after morning, maybe you do too, as I, because we're praying, I'm praying at the, at the uh, breaking of dawn. As the light of dawn comes over this region, let the light shine in the darkness, let make wrong things right, bring justice on the earth. Many people are talking about a social justice movement where they're bringing justice, making wrong things right. Many people are aware and are stung by how wrong things are, how wrong situations are. Lord, make wrong things right on the earth. When we pray that, what we're praying is that God's judgment would come. That's the thing. Justice equals judgment. And so when Bickle talks about us calling down the judgments on the earth, we are calling down, we are saying, God, make it right here on the earth. We're asking for the very thing and God's giving us in the book of Revelation the very thing we're asking for. That's the point. And so um, here's the examples. Number C of, of uh, justice making wrong things right. God's judgment on sickness is seen in the manifestation of healing power. So we're making wrong things right in sickness. In, the, in revival, we're, making, uh, we're reviving the church by the Spirit. In soul winning, we're making the kingdom of darkness right by getting people saved. We're seeing um, evil governments and their devices getting torn apart, and, and that's, I'm so looking forward to Jesus being on the throne and ruling and reigning, but it's, not, it's going to come through a, a messy birth. Um, righteous uh, legislation, that too, I'm looking so forward to Jesus' government being on the earth and making wrong things right. Uh, each of these things uh, is going to be initiated through the book of Revelation, and you all are going to be reigning and ruling and making decisions in God's kingdom in that, in that time. You're going to be, in, in, in other words, you're going to be in the millennium making decisions, acting on behalf of Jesus over territories, helping him to judge and helping to administer his government uh, at that time. You're going to have stuff to do uh, on the earth. And that's part of how, why it's going to take a thousand years to make, make life right under his leadership on the earth. Um, so justice is, making, is God making wrong things right. Um, he is the ultimate social reformer, and he's the king of justice. And he's the first one to connect justice to night and day prayer, which is why we're so desperate for night and day prayer. As Amy says, uh, we, we really need to get a night watch going. We are praying for a night watch. In these times of breakthrough, we're looking for a night watch because, uh, how do you say it? Whoever gets the night takes the city. Whoever gets the night takes the city, right? So, um, 
verse, uh, uh, number E there. Jesus is seeking night and day prayer as a condition to release justice. Prayer is a practical expression of the commandment to love one another in that it releases deliverance for the needy. Um, and so that, that, is, um, that is key. Um, in the book of Revelation, we have a canonized prayer manual, meaning we have a book, a, a book that's canonized, just barely, <laughs> but it's included in the canon, meaning it's included in the approved books of the Bible that the, the Protestants use. Um, and the prayers that are in there are prayers, therefore, that the Holy Spirit has authored and has given to us. And that, that's his point there. Um, um, so I'm going, I'm uh, hustling here down to uh, number seven or verse four, I mean, page four. Outline of the book of Revelation. Here's, here's, here's Bickle's structure, right, which I recommend to you. Uh, four parts. So uh, everybody say four parts. Four, four parts. parts. So it's four, four part, parts. Thank you. There's four parts to Revelation, Danny. Uh, one is, uh, part one is John's commission to prophesy about the end times. Cool. So that's Revelation 1, right? That, that gives us a period of, um, of who John is. That's the, that's the opening salvos of the book of Revelation. You'll see that in Revelation 1. Um, and this is our, our buddy John, the, the fast runner. Uh, John Bennett. <laughs> um, I thought it was Carl Bennett. What? It was not Carl Bennett. Huh? Wait, what is it? Who's Mark's older brother? John Bennett. Uh, um, so John's got a commission to prophecy about the end times in part one, okay? Part two uh, is the message to the seven churches. And so those are those seven letters that he's written to the churches that are surrounding the Aegean Sea uh, in, uh, in Asia Minor, West uh, Asia Minor, now called Turkey. Um, that's Revelation 2 and 3, so that's part 2. Part 3, Jesus takes the scroll, um, right? So he's taking this, this title deed of the earth. So Danny Knight, say part 3. Part 3. Okay, that's Jesus takes the scroll, the title deed of the earth, and that's that heavenly scene where um, uh, John is weeping and weeping because there's no one worthy to take this scroll and break the seals until the son of uh, until he sees a lamb that was slain come and take that. Um, and he's told, "Do not weep." Um, uh, oh, let's see here. Um, I began to weep, weep greatly. Verse. Uh, chapter 5 verse 4 because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it and one of the elders said to me stop weeping behold the lion from the tribe of Judah the root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals and I saw before the throne between the throne and the elders a lamb standing as if it was slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God and so that's he, that, that lamb takes the scroll the title deed and he's commissioned to um that's, the, that's what they call the battle, what Bickle calls the battle plan. And part four, which is basically the rest of Revelation, is the, thank you, is the rest of Revelation um, uh, talking in a series of patterns that go something like this. Um, actually, let's see, where did I, I actually I didn't write it, but it'll, it'll talk about um, the message from God uh, to John, and then there'll be a pause. Um, and there'll be an angelic explanation. And so th those are the four parts, right? Um, uh, it focuses on the, uh, 
tribulation of God's wrath and the Antichrist and the world empire for three and a half years. Um, and it, it gives a, uh, um, it, it'll give a, a section that talks about how bad things are going to get, breaking of the seals, and there'll be a pause, and an angel will explain. Here's, now, I, I can tell it's overwhelming for you, John, almost as if the, it's not, this is not in the scripture, but almost as if the angel were to say, I can tell this is overwhelming for you. Let me just take a break here, and let me tell you actually what's going on. And there'll be an angelic explanation. Another section. Now we're going to open the bowl, the, uh, the trumpets, and we're going to release the trumpets, and there'll be a pause. And there'll be a little explanation about what's going on behind the scenes. And so um, th that's what we're going to focus on next week. We'll do a little bit on the letters, but we've talked about that in the past. And we'll do those four sections, the four main pieces with the angelic explanation. Um, so what I want to do is sing through um, uh, Song of Solomon, Karen, if you're willing. Um, uh, ch verse, chapter 8. Um, I'll read down through verse 5, but really I'd like to focus on singing uh, verses 3 through 5. Um, but chapter 8 is, Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed... And again, Song of Solomon is the love song between uh, the, the bridegroom and the bride. Um, and so here we got, Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breast. If I found you outdoors, I would kiss you and no one dis would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother who used to instruct me. I would give you spiced wine to drink from the juice of the pomegranates. Verse 3, let his left hand be under my head, his right hand embrace me. Swear, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? That's, that's us. That's the church. Uh, after the seven years of tribulation, coming out of the wilderness, leaning on our beloved, trusting in him, being fully committed to him, recognizing he knew what he was doing all the time. He protected us. He loved us. He was with us. He was talking to us the entire time. So that's what we're going to sing through. If, if you want. What's that? It might be on the back there, sure. Oh, yeah. Or actually, you're welcome to mine. Yeah. Are there extra pieces? <coughs> I've got one. Yeah. Here you go. 